Hello and a happy new year to one and all. You are here listening to the inaugural episode of the Creative Outlet Podcast for the year 2021. Yes, today is January 18th, 2021 for the Creative Outlet Podcast episode number seven. Uh, my name is Brandon Pudwill and this is it. Year one of uh, the good old COP is complete and i think then some i'm not exactly sure which date it was episode one was recorded of course you know those of you in uh video uh viewing land or hopefully uh, audio listening land let's put a pin in that uh can go back and actually listen to uh what date the uh first episode was recorded because i say it in every single episode um so, uh, either way, this is a whole year of episodes, and uh, as always with um, the introduction here to these podcasts, I think it's good to uh, talk about uh, some of the things, like reflect on some of the things, and of course in this case I want to reflect on the whole year uh, just for uh, the podcast as far. So let's start with some of the things that I planned on going back to January of 2020. My goal originally was to make 10 episodes there were six. Um, so, uh, clearly that means I did not meet that goal. I got a little bit more than halfway, um, but I didn't quite get, um, as far as I wanted to. And, you know, some of that has to do with things that happened in personal life. Some of that has to do with just school in general, trying to try new things as far as like, I mean, episode five is a clear example is just like, I wanted to uh, have a guest. And, you know, fortunately, we did get to see the uh, Creative Outlet bonus birthed from that. Um, by the way, episode one is officially available to view. Um, and as I'm speaking right now, episode uh, two of the Creative Outlet bonus, because it's just, it's two parts to the same, like, first draft of episode five, uh, that's uploaded. It just needs to have all the stuff written out. Um, originally, I was thinking of putting it onto some uh, audio platforms as well, but I'm I'm starting to think that that might not be such a good idea just because I don't want that to mess with the order of uh, regular numbered Creative Outlet podcast episodes. Um but that's that's uh, getting a little bit uh, tangential from what I really need to be focusing on, um, and uh, as far as reflections, thinking back on say episode six, God, that was four months ago now, which is insane to me because uh, it feels like I just recorded it. Uh, I I feel like. Because I have to think about the topics there, too. As far as the direct, we've seen more, like, little presentations come out. Uh, there's more news on the Mario, uh, on the Mario side of things that I think is pretty interesting. I mean, a bunch of stuff came out. Heck, you can probably barely see one of them in the background there, which is the Super Mario Brothers Game & Watch, which is pretty darn cool, if I do say so myself. Uh, really, the only update I have on it that I find um, important to talk about just as far as myself, is with uh, Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Now, Bowser's Fury itself still looks really, really interesting, and I'm glad that we know more information about it. But if you'll remember in uh, Episode 6, I said, you know, I might just pick it up because of the online play, and now I'm going to have to retract that purely because 
so 3D World plus Bowser's Fury has the exact opposite problem that people had with um, Super Mario Maker 2, which is that in Super Mario Maker 2, for its online play, you could only join with random other players. And then in Super Mario 3D World, you can only join with friends. So, I mean, you know, I don't have a ton of friends that I would know that would be, like, wanting to play Super Mario Maker 2 at the same time, so that was something I really didn't care about, but I totally understand why people were upset about it, because, um, it's pretty obvious that, uh, you should have friend play in any online game, like, duh, um, but in Super Mario 3D World, now you can only play with friends, <laughs> So that, the whole reason that I would be willing to pick up for the second time is completely out of the window for me, because I don't think I really know anyone who would want to play Super Mario 3D World with me, let alone three other people that I can uh, connect with at the same time who would actively want to do it. Now, maybe that would change. It's certainly possible, um, but I don't really foresee that uh, that happening, Uh so that's that's about the only real update I have on that, especially because the other two topics were um pretty not like updatable. Uh, well, and I know the clubhouse uh, topic we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit of that in here uh, too. Uh, as far as other reflections on uh, year one, um, the only thing I really want to talk about left with that is what my goal is for this second year then. And again, I want to try to do 10 episodes, uh, ideally. If I don't meet that, I would say my goal is, because I, I want to get it to be like kind of a round-ish number, so right now we're on 7. Ideal if we can get to at least 15, you know, ideally 17. If I get to 15 total episodes by the end of year 2, that would be... Um, ideal and you know uh, it, 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 I would say the main time that this is going to come down to is summer because I should have uh open time in the summer again hopefully to uh work on this uh, as far as other intro topics we're going to talk about some production updates now I have uh things here in a very um specific order but I think I'm gonna just flip what I have because it's really two pieces there's really two pieces um first I want to talk about an equipment update which I'm sure to everyone sounds super interesting but trust me it is important um and then I want to talk about uh, something else that I kind of alluded to uh not to before so as far as equipment uh changes uh most everything is the same same computer I've got the same good old blue yeti sitting uh in front of me. I'm still using the VSDC video editor, but uh, we have, uh, and you can't really see it, but I have a, now a cable that goes into the mic port on the camera that goes back around here into the good old Yeti, which means that we have solved a major editing problem. So I'm sure if you've watched the videos, um, sometimes, and I know this is going to be frustrating for some people now that they're going to be aware of this, because I know this would happen to me too, the audio and the visual of me speaking probably doesn't line up absolutely perfectly. <laughs> um, and that's because in VSDC, one of the premium features, this is one of the paid features, and I'm not ready to pay 
for an editor. And if I were ready to pay for an editor, I would A, want a better computer, and B, want a better editor. Not that it's bad editing uh, software, but I'm just used to using something like Premiere. Um, but that's a little bit of a digression. Uh, the problem is viewing your audio waveform is a premium feature. So when I was uh, with some of the earlier episodes back when I was still in the, the dormitory and I could just waltz my happy self over to the library and go rent a computer that has Premiere on it, I could just line up the audio from Audacity with the video uh, from the camera, and that would be fine. But I can't do that because I just can't. I'm not even allowed to see it. So my solution to that was this cable. It goes into the microphone. It goes into the mic port on the camera. So now I won't even need to bother importing the audio from Audacity, which should make editing just even that littlest bit uh, faster. Speaking of making editing faster, that gets to the other important equipment update, which is, and you might already be able to tell this, if only because I've changed the angle again, is I am using a brand new camera. So before I was using, uh, well, I really was borrowing, uh, if you remember from the Creative Outlet bonus, I was my guest Lex Tooney. That's her uh, Canon EOS T6i. She really, really hasn't been using it too much. Uh, she's thinking of using it uh, soon for her own sort of projects. So uh, obviously she needs it back, and it was fine because I really wanted my own camera that does some different stuff. Anyway, so I have upgraded to the Canon Vixia HFR800, which, I mean, is should be a similar video quality camera, um, but it's a camcorder, so that comes with its own um, bonuses to it, uh, with really the biggest one being with, uh, well, it really solves a major problem that the, uh, the Rebel EOS had, which was you could only record in 30-minute increments, whereas now with this, I can just record until the battery dies. And so, like, when I started this, for example, it said I had, like, 160 minutes, so just shy of three hours, and the longest episode of this, I think, has been barely over two, so we should be plenty, plenty fine to get through this, depending on how far, how uh, how long it takes. And that should make editing easier, because that just means I have to string all the clips together, and then, other than putting the intro and the outro uh, audio and any b-roll for the video portion, that's done. But, you know, maybe you don't care about the video, which is sad, because I don't, I like to think I don't have a face that's made for radio, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but if you do prefer audio, I will also would like to let everybody know that the audio version is now available primarily through the service anchor.fm. So this is a service uh, that I learned about from those guys over the good old completely unnecessary podcast. You can also find uh, the CU podcast on Anchor. Uh, and... Uh, essentially what this means is you can now find the audio-only version of the show at Anchor, so that's Anchor, like a, a, an anchor in the C, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, like F-M radio, slash the C-O-P, so that's Anchor dot F-M slash T-H-E-C-O-P. Uh, one of the other cool things about uh, Anchor, or at least a couple of the things, is one, it's free. So I don't need to spend any money on it, which is great because 
I need to spend money on tuition. And depending on if, you know, the world stops imploding, housing. Um, so, uh, and also actually before I get too far in this, I want to also clarify this is not a paid ad in any way, shape, or form. These are just facts about it that I want everybody to know uh, because they're things that I know about it and I think are useful. Um, and probably the big one, but the one that is also probably going to get used the least, is uh, any listeners can send in audio messages to me on there. Now, currently I have a very, very, very small audience, potentially one that you would say is non-existent, but that's part of this being the creative outlet in that it's like, if I get an audience, that's great. If I don't, it's fine. I'm doing this for myself anyway. Um, but to the extent that there is anybody that is so interested, they can send in audio messages, be they questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, etc., etc., uh, recipes, maybe, uh, just, you know, try to keep them relatively short, because they're really for me to answer or comment, uh, on, um, as far as any other benefits with Anchor, again, not a paid ad, but the big thing about it is that it solves something, uh, that's been a problem for me, just because I don't really understand how to do this, um, but it has brought the Creative Outlet podcast to other prominent audio platforms. So I tried navigating getting the COP on, uh, certain platforms, but I just, I, I'm, I'm dumb. I can't figure out what to do with my RSS feed. Um, but thanks to Anchor, uh, you can now also listen to the Creative Outlet podcast on Spotify, uh, as well as Google Podcasts, for those of you who have an Android device. Uh, you can find it on Breaker, Radio Public, as well as Pocket Casts. Now, those three, those last three I haven't heard of, but I'm sure there are people using it. Um, I just, I haven't heard of it. Um, and there are three additional platforms that Anchor has yet to get me on, so I might have to figure out how to do that legwork still, because they are pretty quick with getting me on those first few that I mentioned. Um, and those platforms are CastBox, Overcast, and really the major one that I'm sure everybody noticed I didn't mention, which is Apple Podcast. So sorry, iOS and, it, uh, and uh, Mac users, if you use Apple Podcasts and want to keep listening to me. Uh, but it seems like you'll have to use, uh, ideally, anchor.fm slash T-H-E-C-O-P. I will repeat it again. And I'm sure there will be text at some point, uh, well, at least one of these times when I uh, spoke uh, the link aloud just now. Um but I, I hopefully they'll get me on there. If they don't, I guess it'll just have to be uh, uh, what it is. So, uh, other than that, that should be the end of uh, production updates. Um, just before we go into the topic rundown, though, there's one other thing I briefly want to talk about, which is you may be noticing that the style for... Um, my speaking so far is a little bit different. It's not too terribly different. Um, but, you know, I've had notes in the past that have been like, you know, at least 20 some odd pages. This episode's is six, and there's a reason for that. I am trying to do a little bit more improvisationally type of um, speaking for this, if only because I think that is uh, another way that hopefully I can get more episodes created. I certainly want them to be the same quality, but also, you know, I realize that quantity is lacking when you can only make six in the span of 365 days. Um, so 
we're, we're just going to try out this experiment here. If the episode only ends up being like an hour or less, or if it ends up being even longer, we'll just have to see what happens. So other than that, let's uh, talk about the topic. So today we're going to be starting off with a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Roundup, going back to uh, things that we missed since about September. Actually, I think it might be October, but it may as well be September. Um, I want to talk about the Creative Outlet Podcast 2020 Game of the Year nominees, uh, as well as the winner. I actually want to talk about a bit about the holiday of new years especially since we started a new year and finally i want to give an even bigger like worldly 2020 wrap up so without further ado let us get right in to the topics today starting with the smash brothers roundup so there has been actually like a lot of smash related news in the last four months like you know, compared to, uh, like, the time between uh, when I started this show and uh, episode 6 in September, there was, like, two characters, and that was it. Now we've had two more just in this four-month span and a controversy that we're going to be talking about today. So let's start with the characters first. The first character to be released in between uh, episode six and today is, and I, I still cannot believe this, the second character of Fighters Pass Volume 2 is Steve from Minecraft, which with also costumes for Alex, which is apparently the female avatar for the game, um, as well as a zombie, which is, uh, I believe they're called mobs. In the game and an enderman which is another one so if i already have not made it obvious i okay i was surrounded by people who play minecraft i'm still surrounded to an extent by people who play minecraft and i know it's like really it's a kind of a revolutionary amazing game i'm just not really that into it that's just me i think i might have briefly talked about this offhandedly in another uh, episode, but really I can, I would imagine that might be a better topic, like, a, to make a whole topic another time, why it's, like, how I wasn't so much into Minecraft. That could be a good, like, probably guest topic to get someone, uh, in who really does enjoy it, but I digress. So, um, Steve in Smash Brothers, this was something that people, like, brought up kind of, like, as a, uh, like a, a meme of sorts, like, oh yeah, you know, like, it's the, like, the, there goes the neighborhood once Steve is in Smash, so to speak, and really, uh, like, the reaction to Steve was a lot more, like, explosive than I thought it would be. There were people who predictably were like, oh my god, mind blown, and I totally get that. Those are probably mostly people my age, and then you had people who were older, uh, generally, and then me who was really like oh my god this is stupid this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in fact one of the things that shocked me uh considering that she is someone who likes minecraft good bit is uh, again my guest from uh now the creative outlet bonus episode one parts one and two lex she really thought it was pretty dumb and i was kind of shocked about it since she likes uh minecraft but the thing about steve is that they're like with every character 
even for someone like Byleth, uh, there's still some significance in bringing them into Smash. And I know there's some people who really don't like thinking of Smash uh, the way that other people do now, where it's kind of like a gaming hall of fame in a way. But I still still do genuinely think there's always some significance in having each character in Smash, and Steve is no different. And, you know, even though I may not care, the way that I looked at um, Steve getting into Smash Brothers was it would be like if in Smash 64 they didn't put Pikachu and Jigglypuff in there. It'd be like not having Pokemon. Pokemon in the mid-90s and even still kind of today, it was like ubiquitous. You could not go very far without hearing people talking about Pokemon. Just like how if you were in middle school, when I was in middle school in like 2011, 2012, that sort of time, you couldn't walk around without hearing people talk about Minecraft because it was the thing, right? So, I, I really, as much as I don't really care for it and as much as I think people of older generations really don't care for it, and still as strange as it is, particularly now with Minecraft being... A Microsoft property and yet still also kind of an independent thing it's in this weird spot um I almost feel like it was a matter of time before a character like Steve would get into uh Super Smash Brothers um now typically one of the things we talk about with uh these presentations we also talk about the the move set and steve's move set is particularly interesting and again uh with steve and the character that i'm going to talk about next i can't really comment on them too much other than like it's pretty neat because you know unlike uh min min for example i or uh banjo even i have i know like i said i know very little about minecraft uh, even then, I really didn't know a lot about, um, I don't really know a lot about Fire Emblem either, so I kind of tried talking about the moveset with Byleth, but I also couldn't give a very in-depth analysis. Um, but I find Steve's moveset for the little bit that I have interacted with Minecraft to be pretty, you know, pretty obviously faithful to the games. Like, his basic attacks are the sword. Duh. His uh, neutral B is mining and then if you're in front of a crafting table it is crafting i mean after all it is minecraft so you're literally getting the materials and changing your tools so like that sword that i just talked about into a higher quality tool so you start with i think it's like a wooden sword and like a wooden pickaxe and a regular axe i, I mean i it's been a while since i've played as steve in particular uh, as well um just in the game you're basically taking those tools and you're going from wood to like iron and then to I think one of them is gold and then the last one is uh diamond level and you know otherwise you're gaining materials like uh you'll need some materials to make your down special which is TNT which you can even draw like a line of I believe it's called redstone with a switch to walk on that and make your TNT blow up from afar, uh, which that's a really interesting uh, down special. I like it a lot. I think it's very uh, helpful. Uh, as far as, like, other moves, I mean, most of them, like, there's none that I feel like are particularly amazing. The down, spe the, the down smash is pretty good, the bucket of um, lava, although I find the up special to be 
or not the up special, the up smash, um, to be the best of the smash attacks. Or you, like, make this, it's like a, I can't remember exactly what the material is called, but you're basically making a lava block above you, and if people hit it, they'll be stuck there, and then you swipe at them again with your pickaxe, and they fly away. Um, as far as the side special, it's pretty neat. It reminds me a lot of, oh goodness, there's another special that's kind of like it. Or it might be, I might be thinking of, like, I know it's very similar to Cap'n's assist trophy. Uh, it's kind of like Bowser's side special and also like Corrin's in that you're trapping the other fighter in it. But with Steve, with the minecart, because that's what the side special is, you can use it to actually carry people away. And the reason it's like Corrin's is I remember in like the video uh, trailer for him, you could like, uh, you could use his side special where he stabs into like one of the rolling crates although i guess it's not exactly the same eh, it's really not all that important it's it's just it's 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 neat it's cool oh, hit the table um and it's it's also really good for having some uh horizontal recovery although his up special is pretty good for that too in that it's like he basically lights a rocket. I mean, you can use it to go in any direction. If you wanted to go up, you can go up. If you can use it to go horizontally, and he basically has like a hang glider sort of thing. It's it's okay. That's the thing about Steve is ultimately I find he is okay as a character, and some of that even comes from things like his jump. His basic jump is by far the lowest in the game. It can't even reach one of the low platforms on Battlefield, which is crazy to me. You would think that would be the basic requirement for any smash character is that there if you hit x or y or if you are a weirdo and you tap jump gross but i digress uh that you'd be able to jump up to a pretty low platform like that but no you actually have to double jump to get on it which is crazy uh in my opinion but ultimately not important um so yeah, that's my impression of Steve, is that he's okay. The stage is just called Minecraft World. Some people were really hoping it would be called, I think it was like My World, because that's like the generic name for your Minecraft um, worlds in the game, which would have, I think it would have been better too. The more references is, more references is generally better in my opinion, uh, as far as stuff like that. Um, but it comes in... A number of different biomes. There's like a, a basic grassy biome. There's a, a, a wintry biome. There's kind of a, a, a deserty biome. And it picks a random one at the start of the match. Unless uh, there is a button combination that you can do that Sakurai shared. I don't know if it pulled up in front of me. Uh, but each different button combination determines which biome you get. Though This would be a good, great place to bring up the picture. And then, you know, you can visually look at, hey, I can press like... I don't know, R in a direction on the stick, something like that, to determine which one you get if you want to play that stage. Um, of course, the the uh, Battlefield and Final Destination versions are just generic. They're, I'm pretty sure the biome are the same. Uh, apparently, one of the big challenges for Steve in bringing him into the game uh, has to do with all of the stages, because now all of the stages essentially had to be completely retooled to have different 
materials come up for when he's doing his neutral B to do, uh, or to get, uh, materials. You know, some stages are, like, very heavy in iron, if you look at essentially what it's made of, or some are heavier in rock, or some are heavier in, like, they would do wool for something like magic hand, even though you don't really use wool for, uh, any crafting for Steve as a character. Uh, in Smash, I should say, obviously, you, use, you, you, you do use wool to an extent for something, um, in, uh, in Minecraft, uh, which is really interesting, because that makes, that makes, especially since the stage is picked beforehand, that makes it a lot harder, or that makes it a lot more strategic with whether you choose to play as Steve or not, since you picked the stage first. Like, maybe Steve is such a great choice on Magicant, because, oh man, it's gonna be harder to get diamonds and get my really powerful tools, but he's a better choice in something, in a stage like, god, I don't know, uh, maybe the Great Cave Offensive? Because that one's very, like, jewel-y and gemmy and full of rocks. So you would potentially be able to get more drops of those higher, uh, uh, higher density and power materials. But otherwise, if you're doing, just doing a Final Destination or a Battlefield stage, or I'm pretty sure if you're doing the Minecraft world itself as well, they're just, like, they're more or less randomly shuffled, or they're based on, I think with the Minecraft it, world, it's, I believe it's based on the biome, essentially, uh, what all you're more likely to get and what you're not likely to get. And again, some of that depends on the surface you're standing on, too, because you could have stages like, um, uh, like, I think, is it, I'm pretty sure it's called Wynette, is the stage. I know it's based on Wynette from Earthbound, but for whatever reason, I'm blanking on the stage name. Um, like, if you were standing in the tree in the stage, you'd be more likely to get wood. Whereas if you're standing on the ground, you're more likely to get dirt. Whereas if you're standing on the roofs, maybe you'll get more like stone. Because, you know, roofs are made of tiles. Uh, so that is Steve as a character. Again, another big thing from it were the reveal of the final amiibo figures for Fighters Pass 1. Uh, if you can see in the background, you'll see that I have some of my amiibo, like, now hanging on the wall. That's for a separate reason, because I would really like to take them out of the box and use them. <laughs> uh, but I do have Joker and Hero, which were the first two characters for the, uh, Fighters Pass. Uh, but now Banjo, Terry, and Byleth are now revealed and should be releasing uh, later this year. I can't remember the exact date. I really should have been prepared for this um, uh, in piece of information because it's a pretty obvious piece. They will be releasing in, uh, it says March, yes, March 26th. 2021 so you can bet that they will be added to my collection as well especially banjo i'm excited for that it's like it's still honestly mind-blowing that they are really truly honestly in the game like that banjo and kazooie are in the game that is just like i can't believe i can't i cannot believe it i cannot believe it i cannot believe it um, the only other thing I want to talk about as far as, um, uh, the Steve portion of this Smash Roundup 
They are the uh, uh, Pack 7 costumes, the me costumes. And uh, there really wasn't anything uh, too terribly super exciting. There were three uh, Minecraft-themed costumes in, the, in this set. So there was one based on a creeper, which again is another basic uh, enemy that you fight. It's like well, more or less the mascot. It's even in like the logo for the A, its face. There's a complete set of diamond armor, complete with the sword, as well as the helmet. Uh, there's one that turns you into the pig. You know, just an animal that I believe you get for food. And then the, the three that were more interesting to me, uh, of course, were the... Uh, so there's Gil, which is from the Tower of Druaga, which is a classic Na uh, Namco uh, arcade game. Uh, there's Bomberman, which is huge because Bomberman's already an assist trophy in the game. I still don't get why Bomberman isn't a character, but it's no big deal. There's already plenty of characters and I, there's already Banjo. Uh, that's so, so amazing. And what's cool about the Bomberman me fighter costume is it is, it does something like many of the other like basic looking ones do kind of like the i think the business suit is one that does this for example where certain elements of the costume change depending on what your me's favorite color is so in this case for bomberman if your me's favorite color is white it'll look like the classic white bomberman that everyone knows if your favorite color for your me is red it will be the red bomberman if it's yellow it'll be the yellow bomberman etc etc and then the final one is uh, the final Mii Fighter costume is uh, Travis Touchdown from No More Heroes. And again, kind of like when the Vault Boy from Fallout was included, it didn't actually say that it was Super Smash Brothers X No More Heroes. It was X Travis, because I'm guessing if they mentioned No More Heroes, the rating for the game would go up? I have no idea. It's pretty strange, but alas... Uh, it doesn't matter so much because they are in the game. So that should cover uh, everything Steve-related, which means we need to move on to the next uh, set of characters, which or the next character, I should say, which came completely out of left field to me i mean it's pretty obvious as far as like this should be a character in smash but it wasn't one that i was expecting and that is severoth from final fantasy 7 so for smash 4 cloud strife which is the protagonist of final fantasy 7 was added as dlc and he came back for uh ultimate just in the base game apparently he was one of the harder characters to get back it seems like square enix for whatever reason just just like a real pain to work with as far as characters and music and stuff although uh and sakurai even talked about that um in the sephiroth full-on presentation where it's like they're like you know getting the 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 things like the music can be a real pain when you're talking about how really a lot of the music is held by different licenses um, if it wasn't something that was like the 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 publisher made sure to make sure that this music is our property, um, and you can even see that with say Hero as well for from from Dragon Quest because, and this is a whole separate digression, but 
the Dragon Quest music is done by Koichi Sugiyama, and he's, a, I mean, I recommend watching the Stop Skeletons from Fighting video about the Dragon Quest XI music, because they, they really did a lot better description than I can do here, but essentially one of the big things for Sugiyama is that he believes that the in-game version of the music, that he wants to keep doing the MIDI versions instead of doing orchestral versions of the music, because then that's going to cause people to be like, man, I really want to hear the orchestral version of this, because that probably sounds a lot better, and wouldn't you know it, he's released CDs and records and is doing concerts of the Dragon Quest music with a real orchestra. Um, so that's kind of a pretty, uh, lame and terrible practice, especially if you're someone who, you know, doesn't live in Japan and wouldn't be able to really, you know, easily consume these things, um, which is why the Smash versions of the Dragon Quest music are still the MIDI versions, but I digress. Sometimes things like that get through, like, um, I believe the international version of Dragon Quest Eight had, uh, orchestrated music, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really getting off in, <laughs> in the weeds here. Uh, we should get back to talking about Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII. So this character, uh, we knew that there was going to be a character revealed at the Game Awards for 2020, because literally Nintendo put out a post being like, hey, get ready for the Game Awards, there's going to be a new Smash character shown, just like how, that's how, uh, Joker was revealed for, um, the, the original Fighter's Pass. Um, and the trailer was really, really cool. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I've never played a Final Fantasy game, especially Final Fantasy VII, so I didn't, I'll, very similarly to when Cloud was revealed, I was watching it like, okay, I feel like there's, like, if I were a fan of this, I would be picking up on something here, and then I would be, like, really, like, oh my god, kind of like in the Banjo trailer when, I'm sorry, I really keep going back to Banjo here, but like, you know, when you saw that Jiggy hopping across screen, that was a heart stopping moment like what is that what i think it is and lo and behold it was um but in this case it's like you know if you are a fan of final fantasy final fantasy 7 and you see uh galim just go shing and he's suddenly here dun, dun. i won't go very far because i don't need anything happening with the music but you start hearing the first like couple of notes of one winged angel you're like that that's you'd have the same reaction I had to seeing that Jiggy hopping across screen, the screen in Banjo's trailer. Um, first, I want to point out the thing that ultimately makes this the uh, worst of the Fighter Pass 2 presentations, which is that it was not in Sakurai's house and instead was ba back in the basic boring-looking office. Okay, really, that isn't a big deal. I just thought it was cool for Min Min and for Steve. God, I didn't mention that with Steve. Those two presentations were in Sakurai's house, but I did talk about it in the Min Min portion, uh, the Min Min uh, uh, segment, that it was in Sakurai's house, and that was just cool, and people were like, man, look at that. There's a listing a listing on the internet for the couch that he has, which is pretty weird. Uh, people are weird. I just thought it was cool to see, like, he has two TVs next to each other and all the gazillion game consoles and... Again, I'm getting off track here. Uh, let's talk about Sephiroth. So, kind of like with Steve and his significance, Sephiroth has his own type of significance as far as Smash, and that um, was really properly bringing Final Fantasy into Smash Brothers. So, kind of like I talked about with 
uh, earlier going on that huge digression about the music, one of the problems when Cloud was released for Super Smash Brothers for 3DS and Wii U was only two songs came with him. So you basically got Cloud, you got Midgar, and you got two songs. And they needed at least two songs because the 3DS version only had two songs for each stage. Um, and even then, none of the songs were remixes either. They were all the original straight out from Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 songs. Well, for this, uh, Sakurai and his team and Nintendo really went all out and did the extra legwork to make sure that, you know, they could bring the music like many more tracks to final from final fantasy 7 to smash brothers and um some other aspects as well so now there are 11 songs in the game and i believe some of them are remixes if they're not and they're all just like from their original pieces uh you've got some from final fantasy 7 and you've also got some from final fantasy 7 advent children which is the movie uh that followed up on uh final fantasy 7 as far as like other elements uh, where they went the extra mile in bringing Final Fantasy VII into Smash. Um, originally, when the game launched, the only Final Fantasy spirits in the game were just the ones for Cloud. And even then, for Cloud, so there's one for his basic costume and one for his Advent Children costume, but the basic costume didn't even have his, like, because all of the characters, you can switch their spirit from being, like, the Smash Brothers art to, like, an original version of the art like uh i don't know what's a good example and you know instead of mario doing his new render and his pose for smash brothers instead you're seeing him you know just doing like a, a you know mario jumping pose some render of mario and they didn't have that for cloud so when they did this update now cloud actually does have his artwork and sephiroth has his artwork as well as his uh you know his new render and now there are spirits for all of the party members as well as like a couple of other important characters from Final Fantasy VII and then there's like a Moogle and a Chocobo and all that. You know, the things that are like iconic from Final Fantasy all have spirits now. So true, I would say Final Fantasy is now truly in Smash Brothers as it should have been back when Cloud was released. Although I can't, you know, I can't be too upset. Uh, as they say, it's better late than never. As far as talking about Sephiroth's moveset, yeah, I think he's pretty neat. I feel like Sephiroth is a character that has a lot of potential, but not, like, but it's very hard to execute it. So, for example, uh, you know, he has this really gigantic sword called the Masamune, and uh, kind of like Marth and Roy, a certain part of the sword has a sweet spot. Sweet spot. So as far, so like for some for like the, the swinging attacks, I believe it's like the center of the sword. Whereas for stabbing attacks, it's the tip of the sword. And like they have a pretty slow wind up, not too dissimilarly from Ike, who also has like not like Sephiroth has a very long thin sword. Ike just has a very big sword <laughs> um and some of those some of the attacks do really neat things as well like uh i think the down special sticks out i mean you know the up special and like the 
forward special, or not special, smashes. The forward smash, the up smash are pretty basic, like a foie, swing forward, and a foie, do like an arc. Whereas the down smash, he actually stabs it in the, the masamune in the ground, and it causes a little, like, not quite an eruption, but it, like, throws some ground, like some dirt up, which can hit your enemies, which I think is pretty neat if you don't just stab them initially. <laughs> um, and then with uh, specials, there's some neat stuff. So, like, the up special isn't your traditional like big jump or like flying sort of thing like you'd expect the up special to do something with um sephiroth being the one winged angel with his one wing but they actually don't really do anything with that uh instead that is i can't remember the name of the basic version but the charged version is the uh the octa slash so he does eight slashes octo eight slashes um and that just propels him forward, and you can just do it, and you can pick the direction it goes in. Um, the down special is called the scintilla. It's kind of like a counter, kind of like a reflector, which is interesting. Like, either way, whether it hits or not, it does the reflective, like, it makes, like, a little shield, and it goes, and it's, it's kind of useful, like, if you can counter with it, but it only really hits if the character is close. Um, I think the side special is probably one of his, one of his most interesting um, bits. And, God, it is really bugging me that I cannot remember these names of things. Um, but essentially what it does is it, uh, like, he kind of snaps his fingers and it shoots out a little laser beam sort of looking thing and uh let's see it oh oh what okay here it is the shadow flare the shadow flare is what it called and it creates like a, a ball that surrounds the character that they're the fighter that it hits and that character then uh will inevitably get hit by uh the ball and it, it, it i mean it, it doesn't like do anything too terrible to them it just really just does a little bit of damage but you can build on top like over and over and get like up to five of those energy balls rotating around them and hit it like five times um i just think it's pretty neat uh the regular version of the up special is called the blade dash um and so the stand like the 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 neutral special is the one that i think is the most interesting so it's it comes in three different types the flare the mega flare and the giga flare depending on how long you hold down the button and essentially it is just like a big old kind of like uh samus's charge shot where it does a if it hits it does a big old explosion and it's just it's really really powerful um uh, as far as other things uh sephiroth actually has a pretty interesting classic mode compared to some of the other characters so sephiroths are all just bosses so you start with the Rath Rathalos, uh, which is the giant enemy from Monster Hunter, like essentially the mascot. Um, you go up against Gallium, which is one of the major bosses from, of all things, the Subspace Emissary in Brawl. Uh, you go up against Marks, who's, uh, spoilers, the final boss of Kirby Superstar. Uh, you go up against Dracula from Castlevania, Ganon. 
uh, from The Legend of Zelda, and then you go up against Giga Bowser and end off with Master Hand and Crazy Hand. So it's, like, essentially, you're basically forced to play a Sephiroth in order to get a boss rush if you wanted a, uh, a boss rush. Um, I guess... I didn't really talk about the final smash for Steve. I should really talk about that, too. Uh, the final smash for Steve and for Sephiroth. Since we're on Sephiroth, we'll talk about his first, and then we'll quickly backpedal over to Steve's. So Sephiroth's final smash is the supernova. So essentially, he swings his sword. It's one of those ones where it's like you have to be within a range. Like, the other character you hit has to be within a certain range to... Um, uh, be within this final smash and then the it, it's one of those cutscene type smashes so he turns into this giant godlike looking uh character or version called safer sephiroth and he uses the supernova spell which is uh supposed to summon meteor which is essentially what he is trying to do in final fantasy 7 is destroy the planet with the meteor and, um, but in this case, he's using Meteor as his final smash to, uh, defeat, or, like, you know, inflict a ton of damage on these characters. And the cutscene's really wild, it's, there's all these, like, equation-looking things, and a bunch of planets get destroyed, and eventually you get destroyed, but not really, unless you actually get KO'd from it. Um, Steve's, what is Steve's actually called? Uh, I don't know what the official title for his final smash is off the top of my head i really should know that it is called do, 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 do. oh come on where is it the house of boom which is appropriate so um for steve he lays out a huge piston apparently that must be something that you can build in minecraft and then he activates it and it pushes it only can get one character in there so it pushes one character into uh like a house sort of thing that just so happens to be filled up with uh creepers and tnt okay cool and um uh, so then the house blows up and then we get to go look outside of the structure and see steve eat a steak for a ton and the house explodes and that's the final smash it's not really like a um it's not really like a super powerful Final Smash. It's really just a funny Final Smash. That's what I like about Steve's uh, the most. Uh, as far as like special things yet about Sephiroth, uh, before we talk about like the stage and the meat costumes and all that stuff, uh, he does have a shirtless costume, kind of like how Shulk has a, like a, an underwear <laughs> costume, basically. Um, and that's a reference to... Uh, his appearance in Final Fantasy VII when he's, like, stuck in a crystal for whatever reason. Again, I haven't played the game. I don't really remember a ton of the synopsis that Sakurai talked about Final Fantasy VII. Um, but that's the basic idea. Um, as far as um, the stage, so his stage is the Northern Cave, is what it's called, and it's basically where the final boss fight of final fantasy 7 takes place where you're literally like it, it's kind of like a traveling stage but not because the stage layout itself doesn't change you're just traveling on these couple platforms into a crater down going down 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 um until you reach um 
the area where the final battle would take place. Um, no, I don't need to see this ad. I want to learn more about the stage so I can talk about it better. Thank you, Mario Wiki. Yes, I'm using the Mario Wiki for something not about Mario. Um, yeah, tours you through, like, the sort of ending through the game. You go through the crater. Um, you're descending through it, and, um... You see, like, as uh, as the deepest point where you go to, you get to see uh, where the magic spell of Holy has been sealed, which is what's supposed to stop Meteor from destroying uh, the planet. And you're following the, it says it's called the High Wind. That's like, there's a ship traveling in the background that must be the High Wind. Um, and it f- quickly flies out of the crater um, as you've finally stopped uh, Meteor, which is going to end up destroying, you know, the world. And, um, you know, essentially what you're seeing is just the final events of Final Fantasy VII. And I'm sure all of the big Final Fantasy VII fans in my audience right now are just really mad at me for not knowing the game. And I'm sorry. As far as me fighter costumes for uh, Pack 8, most of them were... Actually, no, I don't think all of them were Final Fantasy themed, but all of them were Square Enix themed in a way. So three of them were three of Cloud's other party members. There was one based off of Barrett, um, who is the gunner of the crew. He literally has, like, a Gatling gun for an arm. Uh, there's one for Tifa. Uh, so we have a gunner costume. Tifa is a brawler costume. And then there's Aerith, who is a sword fighter costume. She has this, It's not like a sword. It was like a giant, like, sort of stick thing. Um, there's a chocobo hat that you can just use on any type of me fighter, uh, since chocobos are essentially the mascot of the series. That costume came with Cloud in Smash for Wii U, so again, another repeated DLC costume that I didn't want to pay 75 cents for again, when it should have been in the base game. And then the last one was another Square Enix costume, but it wasn't Final Fantasy, it wasn't Dragon Quest, it was... And I'm so sorry for you fans, but I called this um, when Sephiroth was revealed. It is Gino from Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars as a Me Gunner costume. Sorry once more to Gino fans who don't actually have Gino as a character in the game. So, there's only one other aspect of sephiroth i want to talk about and that is the sephiroth challenge so this was a special thing those talked about at the end of uh the present of the presentation for sephiroth that i thought was was really cool so normally or like sakurai talked about sephiroth will be released on december 23rd it's like christmas eve eve i think he said of 2020 but the update for Sephiroth came out the day of the presentation because what you could do if you had already purchased Challenge Pack 8 or just or had purchased the whole Fighter's Pass Volume 2 like I did is you could play in the Sephiroth Challenge and all you really had to do in that was it was a one-on-one uh, battle, um, a stamina battle against Sephiroth uh, where... Uh, you take him on, and if you beat him on any of the difficulties, there's easy, normal, and very hard. 
you unlock him as a character, and you get to play on the Northern Cave, and you get all the music early. But other aspects of the update weren't available yet. There weren't the spirits weren't out yet. Um, uh, probably the big one actually, or well, not really a big one. It's a really little thing. And another aspect that gets into that idea of properly bringing Final Fantasy VII to Smash uh, was they didn't have. Uh, Cloud's Advent Children costume has its own separate Final Smash of Omni Slash version 5 from the movie. That wasn't available. So essentially you just got to play Sephiroth in half the stage. I went through and I beat all three difficulties. And one of the things that was initially part of the plan for the Sephiroth challenge was to have you only be able to do the unlock if you could beat it on Very Hard. And I tell you, Very Hard actually did live up to its name of being Very Hard. But uh, in the end, the team decided to go against that idea, which I can see, but at the same time, I also would still maintain it was kind of sad, because honestly, it was very hard. It was a really good challenge. Like, it took me well over 20 tries to beat it. Um, but, you know, in the end, I got to play Sephiroth early, and that's all that was what was cool about it. And I'm sad because it was a limited time mode for basically a week and then it was over with and done and never seen from again. But I am here to tell you that that does not have to be the case, kind of. Because, like I said, all it was, all that the Sephiroth challenge was, was a one-on-one -on -one fight with Sephiroth on the Northern Cave stage. And it was a stamina battle. So all you need to do, I mean, you can't recreate the easy and you can't recreate the very hard difficulties of it. But you can at least try to remake the normal level difficulty by going into your basic smash and creating new rules of a st for a stamina battle called the Sephiroth Challenge, where you both start at 150 HP, you do it one-on-one, -on -one, you against Sephiroth in the Northern Cave for a single stock. And there you go, that's the Sephiroth Challenge. So those of you that did miss out on it can still play it. Technically, you just don't get all of the extra cool, like, UI and menu things, and you don't get to live this neat, like, six-day event, this, like, little teeny tiny piece of Smash Brothers history. So that covers the characters. The last thing I want to talk about is a bit of controversy. Bum, bum, bum! So even though it's 2021, there's still the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, which means there's a lot of things in the world that aren't happening right now, which I'm sure people want to have happening. And I totally understand that because there's things that I want to see happening in the world and I'm sad that they can't happen. <laughs> uh, I need a drink. Literally. Because <laughs> my voice is starting to get going here. So one of those things that can't really happen are Smash Brothers tournaments, including big ones such as the Big House. Now this is something that I don't... Honestly, the facts out there about the tournament itself are so small, unless you've actually followed it, that, like, I just, I'm not even going to link anything here because I just, I don't, there's not a ton I know about it as far as the tournament itself, as far as the entire incident. But all I have to say about it is that it's, the whole reaction to it is silly and i hate being the person who says this because if there's anything i like going after it's giant corporations including ones that i like like i love nintendo games but this is an instance where it wasn't worth it so the the, the the basic synopsis of this is the folks who put on this tournament 
um, they wanted to do a Smash Brothers Ultimate portion of the tournament, and they wanted to do a Super Smash Brothers Melee portion for the tournament for 2020. Now, like I said, they can't really meet in person because they don't want people to die because they came to play in a Smash tournament, <laughs> even if they are mostly young people. Um, and that would be fine for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate because it is compatible with online play. Not so much for Melee because it's not compatible with online play, but somebody has created a mod for the game, I believe it's called the Slippy uh, mod, which essentially makes Melee playable online on a PC, and Nintendo came down with the banhammer and said, no, we don't want that. And, you know, ultimately, it is their game, so they get to make that decision. Like, the thing that I compare it to would be like, um, it would be like if you ran an independent theater and said, you know, to Disney, I want to do, I want to screen, uh, you know, a certain movie of theirs. Uh, I don't know, just pick any random Disney movie, and certain cuts of the movie you'll find, sometimes there are different versions of a film. Like, sometimes, like, when it gets put on, like, when a film was put on VHS back in the 80s or the 90s, or then when it was put on DVD later on, or when it's put on TV, sometimes missing certain scenes, or it's edited in different ways for, like, making it compatible with FCC regulations on TV, or or just because they wanted to make the cut shorter, or it was a director's cut, or something, you know. And you said, well, but we don't want to put on the official Disney-approved version of the movie, we want to put on the... Uh, we want to put on our own cut that we made that, you know, is all of your work, but we've just put in the version, like, we've put in extra bits from each version. Now, I should clarify here, if you want to do that on your own, if you want to make your own cut of a movie and have that be your own version of it that includes everything that you want in it, I don't care if you do that on your own personal time. Just the same as if, you know, I wanted to, if anyone wants to play Melee online right now in their own, in the comfort of their own home, and they want to use the Slippy mod to play online with people, I don't really care, and I don't think Nintendo should care. Just like how I would say Disney really shouldn't care if you've made their own cut for uh, one of their movies. The difference with the big house and in this hypothetical example I gave is that now you're making it a big public thing, Right? And if I were Nintendo, I would not want to have a big public event, even if we're not officially associated with it, uh, where the version of the game being played is essentially an unofficial, cracked version of an already existing official game. And I get where people are coming from when they're saying, well, this would be a great reason for Nintendo re to re-release Melee uh, in the modern day. And I completely agree. They should re-release -re Melee for the modern day, because... Then they wouldn't have. Then there wouldn't have been this whole situation in the first place, right? So you know the onus in this is still on Nintendo to fix this situation. But at the same time, I also cannot be too uh, you know mad at them as far as like their response to it because I don't think it's un an, un an unreasonable thing to say that there's a global pandemic and we don't want people to get sick. So if the worst case scenario is not being able to play Melee in tournaments for one to two years, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I'm sure if you describe this whole situation to someone who's really outside of the gaming community, they would probably say the same thing. Or they would even say that these people are ridiculous for thinking that um, this is like a super big thing to make a big stink about. And then to add fuel to the fire, 
Um, not too long after that, so like Nintendo sometimes does these like online open tournaments every month. So like there was there's been Mario Kart ones, there have been uh, Mario Tennis Aces ones, there have been well Smash Brothers ones. Uh, but for that month, it was a there was a Splatoon two tournament in which one of the teams changed their name to the hashtag free melee, which was this big thing going around at the time and was just permeating presentation after presentation. Like, it was a big thing during the Sephiroth presentation, even though, you know, it was a pre-recorded video, so no one was seeing it anyway. Duh. Um, and, you know, fortunately in the months after that, this whole thing has just kind of died down because, you know, kind of like I was saying at the start, like when this whole thing was coming out, or during other bits, there's so, or with the, the, the direct, uh, segment from the last podcast, right? There are so many other things happening in the world that I care more about right now than the fact that people cannot play Super Smash Brothers Melee online. And, you know, whether they like it or not, that's just kind of the, the deal right now. And it's sad. And again, I would put the onus on Nintendo to, put Melee out there in some way and make it compatible playing online. Like, this would be a fantastic reason to get Nintendo 64 and, more importantly, GameCube Switch Online running to let you play four-player Melee online with your friends. Because that's all they need to do this, is get people on their friends list and play Melee online using that sort of service, even though I know people are all up in arms about it. And again, Switch Online will get its own segment in one of these podcasts. So, uh, that should cover everything necessary for the, uh, Smash Brothers roundup. You had really big highs and really big lows here, and it's, it's just kind of frustrating, but I really want to get back on a big high because I want to talk about the official Creative Outlet podcast, Brandon Pudwell's seal of, of approval, Game of the year. So, I want to clarify, there are going to be three categories, not two categories, as I kind of alluded to last time talking about the Clubhouse Games review, but there are going to be three categories. The categories are as follows. There's the 2020 release of the year, there's the personal game of the year, and the category that I added as I was writing this earlier is the backlog MVP. So, uh, let's talk about the rules. So for the 2020 release of the year, that should be pretty self-explanatory. It's what game came out in 2020 that was my favorite. So any nominees that were eligible for the 2020 release of the year were not able to be um, chosen for my personal game of the year, which again is pretty self-explanatory. Which game did I play in the year 2020 that um, uh, I felt was the most important for me? And then the Backlog MVP is a category for the games that I have not yet played that I want to most cross off on my list next. So, let's start with the nominees for the 2020 game, or release of the year. The games are Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics, Super Mario Bros. 35, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and Ninjala. Honorable mentions should go to Speed Dating for Ghosts and To the Moon. Now they could not be they could have been chosen for personal game of the year. Um, but the reason they get honorable mentions is that the the Switch versions of these two games were originally released in 2000 and 
20. So they were technically eligible, but I only wanted to give them honorable mention uh, because they were released in 2020, but not <laughs> released in 2020 at the same time. And as much as I really enjoy uh, enjoyed playing To the Moon and enjoyed playing uh, Speed Dating for Ghosts, uh, which are both fantastic independent games, um, they really did not quite hit the level of um, personal game of the year for me. So for all of these, I want to give a basic uh, explanation other than for one of them, um, including the honorable mentions just now, um, and ultimately tell you which one was my game of the year. So Super Mario Bros. 35 and Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics are both games that I talked about in, or extensively, in uh, episode 6, so I really I would recommend listening to those to get a more detailed synopsis of them, but the idea of Super Mario Bros. 35, uh, for example, is it's a Battle Royale Super Mario Bros. You are running through Super Mario Bros., and so are 34 other players, and every enemy you defeat gets sent to the other players, um, and ultimately you want to be the person who lasts the game the longest out of those 35, and then you win. Uh, Clubhouse Games, 51 Worldwide Classics, uh, is a collection of 51 board, card, and other toys and other types of games. And uh, again, I recommend checking out Episode 6 for the more in-depth review of that game. Animal Crossing New Horizons has had a ton of coverage on this show, so you can check out most any episode and probably hear something about it in there. It is uh, a life simulation game where you... Uh, end up on a deserted island and need to build it up with whatever animal friends join you on the island and live out life. You get to collect bugs, fish, uh, fossils, build up a museum, and ultimately have a creative, relaxing community. Uh, Ninjala is a game, it's a Splatoon-like, but not quite like game, uh, where you try to gain the most points by uh, KOing opponents with your ninja weapons and your ninja gum. Uh, and that, 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 it's really hard to explain. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um, as far as the honorable mentions, To the Moon is a story-based uh, RPG maker game where you follow characters Dr. Neil Watts and Dr. Eva Rosaline, uh, who are trying to help an old man named... Uh, Johnny by they they literally like hook up a helmet and go through his memories to to understand why he desires for his final wish to be to go to the moon and uh, I don't want to really give too many spoilers because it's a really great game and you should pick it up and I just I love it and I'm really excited that Finding Paradise the sequel is coming to the Switch this year but I digress and then Speed Dating for Ghosts is um it it kind of does what it says in the title. It is a game where you are the player, become a ghost, and you are invited to speed date with nine other ghosts. And inevitably, um, it's essentially a conversation simulator where you're going through and you're learning about the pasts of what these ghosts were like when they were living, breathing creatures. And inevitably, you go out and, on dates with them and um, learn even more about them there. So uh, as far as the winner, I uh, <laughs> let's give a let's give a little pause here. I'll give a little uh, uh, drum roll. I need a drink too. My voice is so I can't talk for two hours straight. 
I need a co-host for this exact reason. Um, but I talked about it in episode six. I think it's pretty clear that as far as, for me, the 2020 release of the year is going to be Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. And again, let us I don't, I don't know if I said this in the last episode, but let's put it like this. Animal Crossing came out three months before Clubhouse, and I've played both of them for the exact same amount of hours, despite having three more months to play Animal Crossing. Both of them are at about 65 hours worth of play. Um, a lot of the problem with the other games, I find, is that they have... Like, all of them have one major flaw, but what Clubhouse has about its major flaw that the other ones don't have is that they don't stick out to me so much that they make me sometimes not want to go back to it. So for Clubhouse, the big omission with it is the lack of so many four-player compatible games. But I mostly play in single-player. And again, like I said in the review, all of the games are so, like, well-paced and crafted. I mean, it, you know, it's hard to mess up 51 long-lasting worldwide games, obviously. Um, I don't know. I just had the most fun with it. That's why it's my 2020 release of the year. Can it just be that simple that I had the most fun with it? Um, the other games, though, while I've had fun, they have major problems. So Super Mario Bros. 35 is fun, but it's still ultimately Super Mario Brothers, which is great. I like the original Super Mario Brothers, and I like that they made edits to it as far as things like changing the physics to um, better help you jump on enemies in succession. But I'm also not going to be able to play it after March 31st, Nintendo. I talked about that in the Mario 35 anniversary slash Nintendo Direct Drought segment. The game should be playable for longer than... I, like six months animal crossing new horizons again to me even with all the updates the game still feels unfinished if only because there's no sets to collect and i'm just i'm not a big like crafting uh game fan um and then ninjala it's the main problem that i found with it was that i mean you could tell i struggled explaining it because it's trying to take the approach of being easy to understand and hard to master, but Ninjala really isn't that easy to understand. Like, again, I, the basic gist of it is you knock your seven other opponents out and you gain points, and you win by having the most points. But when you get into some of the deeper mechanics of it as far as, like, um your uh, special attacks and all that sort of stuff and doing things like the parrying system the, the game simply doesn't explain it like i was thinking about it earlier today and i was trying to figure out god how do i describe ninjala on here and really the reason i feel like i don't understand it so well is because its main problem is it lacks something that too many triple a games do have too much of where so many triple a games over tutorialize how to play them ninjala has no tutorial and it has no manual so there's not a lot of opportunity to really practice and understand the basics of how the game works although obviously it still made it into <laughs> the six games that i would potentially pick for game of the year 2020 so it can't be that bad you know it's still a fun game i just 
I really haven't felt the need to go back to it, and that's that's pretty upsetting. And it's it's fun, but it's not it's not so fun that I want to constantly go back to it. Whereas, you know, Clubhouse Games is so fun that I constantly want to keep playing it either by myself if I just want to quick do a game of solitaire, do some mahjong solitaire, or if I want to go play online and do a few five frames of bowling rounds, or if I want to play sevens or president. And it one of the great things about it is that it taught me so many new games like president, like sevens, like Moncala. I'd never played Moncala really seriously until I picked out Clubhouse Games. And really, that final aspect of really coming to appreciate something new is also the reason for my personal Game of the Year choice. So my personal Game of the Year came out in 2019. At least the Switch version did. In a way, it could have been a release of 2020 because it was released again on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One just after the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X came out, uh, as well as a new re-release on Steam in 2020. Although it originally came out for the West in 2018, and it originally came out in Japan in 2017. I'm sure by that description, there's some people who have already figured it out. My personal game of the year is Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. And really, my reason for picking Dragon Quest XI-S is, like I said, it got me to appreciate something new. So I haven't really played too many role-playing games in my day. In fact, I'd say really the only role-playing games I've truly played are the Mario RPGs, and even then I haven't finished too many. I finished Super Paper Mario, and I finished Paper Mario Sticker Star, and then I finished... Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, and Mario and Luigi Dream Team. And even then, Sticker Star isn't really an RPG, and Super Paper Mario's kind of an RPG. And as far as other role-playing games I've played, there aren't really too many out there. Like, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle is kind of a strategy RPG, but not really, and it, even that's still technically a Mario RPG. And I've played a little bit of Earthbound on the on my SNES Classic, but I haven't played a ton of Earthbound. Dragon Quest XI-S, on the other hand, I've put about 15 hours into. And I know that's still the start of the game, I just haven't had really a ton of time to go pack and play it. But it really got me to appreciate the what a turn-based JRPG can be. And really, this stretches back even into 2019 when I started with the demo. I basically finished the 10-hour demo this year and had so much fun with it that I was ready to pick up a copy, and then I played about five more hours to it, and then I got distracted with other games and, you know, life. And I just... God, I wish I knew how to describe it. If I could do a review of it, I would. But like I said, I'm only 15 hours into this, like, some 100-odd-hour adventure. Um... I don't know. Really, the thing about it is it not only helped me gain an appreciation for the genre of the role-playing game, but it really helped me le or learn more about the Dragon Quest series as a whole. So, for example, not too long after I started playing it, I actually ordered over the holidays a 
uh, physical copy of the Switch versions of Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3. And right now, I just have to beat the final boss in Dragon Quest 1. That's right, I've almost finished a whole nother RPG in like two weeks. And granted, obviously, Dragon Quest 1 is only like an eight-hour game, whereas like the further I get along in the series, you're going to get like 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours, 100 hours once I finally continue on with Dragon Quest uh, 11s. So, again, I'm th this is part of the experiment in trying to do more improvisation. I really wish I knew how to describe the game better um, <laughs> as far as, like, why I specifically picked 11S. I think, so part of it, one of, the, one of my major concerns with a lot of RPGs is how many of them are trying to go full-on open world. In fact, that's why, still to this day, one of the games I don't have on the Switch is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I know, shocker, like, basically one of the defining titles, the, the defining launch title on the system, for sure, I still don't even own. And it's because I would too easily get lost. Dragon Quest XI-S keeps, like, it does kind of an open world, but it's like a, like, it takes almost a Super Mario Odyssey-like approach. So Mario, Super Mario Odyssey has open worlds, but they're single-level open worlds, if that makes sense. Each kingdom itself is a small open world, and Dragon Quest XI S, uh, so far at least, has done similar things. I I know later on you basically get like like a boat or some kind of like you'll get a, like a flying airship or maybe like a flying beast of some kind later in the game that lets you go across the whole world. Um, but it does a very good job of segmenting its open world so that it's easily digestible for someone like me who's like god i don't know if i could like really follow this super well and then the the battles for example that's the thing in rpgs that i've always liked the most are the turn-based battles like i just like having a nice simple sit down and beat up a bunch of enemies type of thing and um you know you can do that you can fight you can defend you can cast spells i just like the simplicity in fact you know as much as i don't like pokemon like i would love to play pokemon stadium for example because all pokemon stadium is is just the battles and that's the part of pokemon that i like i like the battles i like turn-based battles um so i hope maybe that helps describe it a little better um for the uh the graphics i like like i've always wanted to uh, consume more stuff that's it's like the Akira Toriyama style, but I just, I've never really had the opportunity or desire to consume Dragon Ball because there's so many episodes and chapters of mangas and different like things for it. And it's just, it's too big of a thing for me. It'd be like trying to, you know, learn about Star Wars, even though I know Star Wars really isn't all that big either, as far as like how many pieces of media there are. Um, but Dragon Quest only has 12, or, well, 11 mainline games, technically 10 in the West because we never got Dragon Quest 10. Um, and it's, it's, it's a pretty looking game. Like, it's a gorgeous game. Although I, I understand people's frustration now with the new versions of 11S on Xbox One and PS4 and PC technically being visually downgraded from the original version of 11 because it had to, because uh, Dragon Quest 11S had to, uh, had to accommodate to continue to receive, I think it's 
I don't remember if it's 30 or if it's 60 frames on Switch, um, but it had to accommodate for the Switch uh, to be able to run it well. Also, I like the music, especially because in the S version, you actually get the orchestrated music. Not that the MIDI versions sound that bad. Again, check out the Stop Skeletons from Fighting video on the music. But, like, I can, you know, there's a lot of Dragon Quest music that actually sticks out as being very, very catchy. Uh, whether uh, in Eleven, I love the battle theme. I really like the, the main overworld song. Um, a lot of the towns are really have a really good music. Like I really like the 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 town of Hodo, although tech I don't know if it's Hodo or Hodo, uh, actually. Um, but I believe that's actually also a remix from a prior Dragon Quest game. Um, I'm trying to think of other music uh, in the game that I really like. There's not a ton uh, other ones that I can really think of. Um, I'm sure there's there's going to be other remixes from the rest of the series in there as well that are really good as well. I like, actually, here's another good thing. Just one of those little things. I like how there are visual costumes and there are armor upgrades. So it's like I can continue increasing my stats, but also make my character not just be the same boring looking model the entire game. And, you know, little things like that also add up. I would recommend checking out some other Dragon Quest XI-S uh, reviews as well to probably get a better, deeper understanding of why the game is so good. I just, I'm, I can't improvise why I enjoy it so much. And that brings us to our final uh, nominees here, which are the nominees for Backlog MVP, which again is a category for the Backlog games that I most want to cross off of the list next year. Uh, so the uh, these are just five of the games. Really, I could pick a gazillion other games that I haven't started, uh, but these are just a few that uh, stuck out to me. Um, God, no. <laughs> uh, we have Untitled Goose Game, New Super Lucky's Tale, Catherine, full body, as well as Mad Father and Murder by Numbers. So each of the, like, I'm going to be honest, all of these are completely different games, but I really want to try them all out. So New Super Lucky's Tales, another simple, like, level-based 3D platformer in the Lucky series. Um, I picked it up in, like, a year ago at this point uh, on sale because uh, there was a game store closing uh, in my college town, so I got a good deal on it. Um, Untitled Goose Game was one of the big games of 2019. It's a stealth game where you're just, you're a goose trying to make life miserable for a bunch of English townsfolk. And I find that interesting. And now it's co-op too. So I've wanted to try it out because it was a big thing. I got it physically too. Um, Mad Father is a horror RPG maker game where you play as a little girl whose house has suddenly become haunted with a bunch of beasts. And it's, you know, your father has just been down in his lab doing all sorts of weird experiments. You get to figure out what he's been up to. Murder by Numbers is a very, like, Ace Attorney-like game, um, which is good because I like Ace Attorney, in that you're figuring out uh, a few murder cases with your robot uh, companion, uh, but in order to decipher pieces of evidence, the robot companion clears them up with Picross puzzles. So Picross, if you don't know, those are, uh, I think they're also called like pictograms. It's, you have like numbers on the side and numbers on the top, and you have to figure out like, okay, which squares in this grid do I fill in? And inevitably it makes an image. Finally, there's Catherine Full Body, which I'm, it's so hard to pick which one of these I want to actually um, declare the winner, but if I had to pick one, I'm actually gonna go with 
Catherine of all games. And here's why. I was interested in this game even going as far back as when the original was released on the Xbox 360 and the PS3 back in the early 2010s. Um, it's like a puzzle, somewhat platformy game by um, uh, Atlas, where during the main portions of the game, you're climbing up this giant tower where you have to move blocks just to not be swallowed by the giant monster at the bottom. Um, but you might be wondering, well, what the heck does that have to do with Catherine? Why are you trying to escape to the top of this tower, right? Um, and that's because the monster that you're escaping from is one of the Catherines. And you might be wondering, wait, what do you mean one of the Catherines? How is there more than one Catherine? Well, that gets into the daytime portions of the game. So that's like the nighttime portion. During the day, you are playing as this, like, you know, mid-twenties guy named Vincent who has been going steady with his girlfriend Catherine with a K. Um, but suddenly he's um, been having these weird, strange occurrences with this girl Catherine with a C. And then in the full-body version, which is the Switch and PS4 versions, he's also, uh, there's also a third Catherine with a Q. So that's one that I've been interested in very, uh, in trying a lot. Again, I can't give like a super great long explanation of them because of any of these games because I haven't played them. I want to play them. But Catherine is the one that sticks out the most to me because it's been like seven or eight years that I've been wanting to play this game. And now I finally have the opportunity to do so. So that, those are the final uh, games of the year that get the Creative Outlet Podcast seal of approval. 2020 release of the year for me is Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. My personal game of the year, the one that really stuck with me the most, I mean, even though Clubhouse also stuck with me a lot, it would be Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Definitive, Definitive Edition, and as far as the Backlog MVP, the one that I really hope I can cross off my list next is going to be Catherine Full Body. A whole strong variety of games came out in 2020 in the end. Even when I was saying, like in the last episode by September, there really hadn't been a ton of variety. I mean, you have to look at how many games I did end up purchasing. I actually had a pretty decent variety as far as physical games and even um, digital titles as well. So that should cover up that topic. And then we're going to start moving into the less gamey types of topics, ones that aren't going to have so much B-roll when I go into editing, which should also hopefully make this be able to come out a little bit faster, ideally within the week. God, I need a co-host uh, so I can uh, talk a little bit less. So topic three here, I want to talk about New Year's. Now, New Year's is a weird holiday. It's literally the holiday that says... On one day, the year's over, and then on the next day, the new year's starting. And for me, like, New Year's is, like, honestly the ultimate anxiety holiday. Now, ultimately, now, the good thing is I'm over it now, now that we're 18 days in, but, like, the lead-up and the immediate opening, the, the, the lead-up to the new year and the opening to the new year, like, like, I just, uh, I don't like it. Because to me, it represents a lot of my pessimism. Because when I think of the new year, I start thinking about things that I didn't complete in the year. So like 2020, what was something I didn't complete? Oh, how about 10 episodes of the podcast? 
I regret doing that. I wanted to get 10 episodes this off. I didn't end up doing it. I think of the things that like I wanted to do. For example, uh, you might not know this, but I'm uh, a little bit of a golfer. I only ended up going out once. I wanted to do that more, but it didn't work out for me to um, do that. I think about things that I like. I tried doing, like, uh, I swear, every time that I've tried doing hangout type things with the the friend group that I met uh, in my first year of college, there's been something that's gotten in the way, whether it's it's the end of the semester and we really didn't make hard plans for the second semester, or, oh no, now there's a global pandemic and we can't even see each other anyway because we have to be hundreds of miles away wherever the heck we live. <laughs> Um, or even if it's things like I wasn't able to keep up with. I wanted to play more Dragon Quest Eleven. I didn't end up doing that, right? Uh, I start thinking about the things that I did not end up doing during the year at all. I'll get the things I just talked about in my backlog. I didn't end up uh, doing that. I uh, Some of the experiments I tried doing, like I didn't end up really getting to do them fully. Like I didn't end up getting to see what would a full episode of the creative outlet podcast be like with two people um and that's unfortunate um one of the things and i realize this is silly for being ultimately a young person but it's like i'm gonna be another year older in august now and that's freaky like that's another thing leading up to my birthday and the immediate aftermath of my birthday i get the same sort of feeling i get around new year's of like oh my god this year i'm going to be 21 years old and that is crazy to me because, like, I, I mean, I can remember being eight years old. And, like, in your whole world, you're like, all right, I'm eight. This is what life is like at eight. And now you're like, oh, my goodness. Now, where did those 13 years go that I'm going to be 21? And, you know, I think probably the big one, and this is a pretty common fear, it's like, I'm another step closer to truly being the outside world, which is being in the outside world, which is simultaneously a great thing and simultaneously a horrible thing as far as I'm concerned because on the one hand you know that means I'm closer to like all of my own freedom I get to decide like here's the food I want when I want it and how much I have to pay for my own everything but on the other hand I have to pay for my own everything and I have to schedule my own everything and I have to <clears throat> attempt all of those I have to get my own a home, my own job, all those things. It's a lot of responsibilities as well as a lot of fun parts that go with those responsibilities. And, you know, that's the thing about it, too, is those are all of the negatives. I'm sure there's more negatives I didn't even mention that I just, I can't, I can't think about. But the thing about a new year is that's not all negative. Sure, I can look at those pessimistic, pessimistic, pessimistic aspects i can look at man i didn't golf but you know what just because i didn't do it last year doesn't mean i'm not going to do it a bunch in 2021 i'd really like to you know do more exercise like that's something that i would like to try to do like once a week or like once every two weeks because it's a kind of exercise that gets me outside that's different from just like you know riding a bike or or um you know doing something like lifting some weights going on a walk right that uh, combines, like, there is a bunch of walking, but there's also some arm exercise and, like, swinging a stick around, <laughs> um, you know, I wanna, I, 
Uh, I was a bowler, right? I can't really do that now because there's a global pandemic and people shouldn't be inside a poorly ventilated old building or even a, you know, slightly better, better ventilated newer building because you need a lot of ha to have a lot of people together in the same room all close to each other. Um, but, you know, if things were to get better, that's something that I think would be good for me to do in 2021. I want to, you know, I can do things like lose some weight. I know I'm not like like a super big, chunky super fat boy, but, you know, I'm also not, like, a skinny twig like people around my age tend to be, um, so, like, those are some things. I know people always talk about, like, oh, man, you've got a, a New Year's resolution. You're gonna start it, but you're not actually gonna be able to keep up with it, and I know that usually ends up being true, but, like, one thing that, like, was a technically ish a resolution next year was, like, like, I, in 2019, I asked for this microphone for Christmas. Why? Because I wanted to, to do something that I've been doing, that I've done in the past and enjoyed, which is talking. And I really like talking, and so I ended up making a podcast, even if, like, my thoughts aren't always completely coherent. I just want to do it because I can do it, and I enjoy doing it. Um, so that's something I could keep up with. Um, and, like, similar to, like I said, if things weren't completed, that means they can still be finished. I didn't make 10 episodes in 2020. Well, guess what? This year, there's going to for sure have been 10 episodes of the Creative Outlet podcast. Um, and ideally, if I can build bridges and stay committed to some of these things, that means I can hopefully try more new things and stick to something new um, that I maybe tried in 2020 or will try in 2021. I didn't end up finishing Dragon Quest uh dragon quest 11 last year okay i'm gonna commit some more hours to playing it this year i'm probably still not gonna finish it this year because it's a hundred hour game and i have responsibilities like work and school and all that stuff but i'm gonna at least like get through a decent chunk of the game i'm gonna connect with those people that i want to connect with whether it's as simple as saying like hey let's like i don't know make a discord server or something uh and talk and hang out even though we can't see each other maybe we can't even play games together for one reason or another remember the problem with playing games online segment i talked about a few episodes ago god i can't even remember which number that was that might have been like three or four maybe even two it was it was one of the episodes where i was still in the dorms um so i don't know i, I would just say like i cautiously kind of don't like new year's like now that i'm like outside of the bubble of oh my god the we're almost not going to be in 2020 anymore and now i have to start writing 2021 i feel better about it but i still uh, uh uh i've never really liked it um and really that brings in the final topic too which is let's give a wrap up to 2020 itself reflection or as i titled it reflections on my first global pandemic and hopefully the only one in my life and suffice it to say of all the experiences i wanted to have in my life or any of the things that i planned on having i don't think anybody really prepares for like man i'm gonna live through a deadly disease it's gonna completely upend everything that i planned on doing for an entire year or maybe more and how i live and if you want proof of that for me as far as like how much i plan on this you could just go back to episode four as well i believe um because like like look I mean, I could, I will readily admit, it is, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this too, it was really hard listening to the editing on that because, and, you know, I would say I downplayed what could have happened with it. And yeah, I, I would, I 
feel like an idiot now, but I would even still defend how I, I felt back in like March and April at the time. Because we have to remember, like the only pandemics I've ever lived through have been like H1N1, uh, otherwise known as the swine flu, and the Ebola virus, which neither of those diseases are particularly easy to catch. Uh, you basically, like if I remember correctly, like the Ebola virus, yeah, you would have pretty horrible outcomes, but unless you lived in a very desolated community where you'd be around, like, waste, it was pretty hard to catch it. And I mean, that that doesn't, you know, make it a... Uh, 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 a better experience because like I said it was a very deadly disease and of course there were a lot of people who died from it but not nearly as many that are dying now from COVID-19 um and I also pretty naively thought that you know through prolonged social distancing that you could actually see the spread uh slow until it hits zero and you kind of actually did see that after a long time in countries like New Zealand um and but it is also very easy to say, like, I mean, even the president, for as much as he's an idiot, uh, separately, like, when you see you only have 15 cases, it's really easy to assume that, well, we've only got 15. If we do the things we need to do, it'll go down to zero. Um, even though that's just kind of naive and a false notion, because no matter what, even if you have somebody who's, like, caring for this person, like a nurse, they still have to go out into the community. It's not like they can completely isolate everybody who... Um, gets the disease, and then there's all the asymptomatic people as well. And uh, as far as other reflections on 2020, like so many other things, uh, being a political science student, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently is COVID-19 and just other world events caused more polarization. As far as things like, I mean, there's the anti-maskers, there's those that are for and against lockdowns, and, I mean, for the record, I would prefer lockdowns with financial support for communities, whether it's like a, you know, monthly or weekly checks or whatever. Uh, I, you know, I remember thinking uh, at one point early on in this, like, especially when there were big, God, even protests over, like, I don't want to have to wear a stupid mask like the mandates that um, I was like, man. I never thought health could be politicized. Of course, then I thought about it. I was like, oh, wait, abortion is a health topic. And that is already politicized. And um, it's just so weird to see, like, to live in a world now where it's hard to even trust your basic expert. And granted, I, I understand that, like, a lot of people in smaller communities see them as the cultural elite. And in a way, they are. And even then, it's hard for me to... Uh, respect some of the experts too as they're the people who teach me and they can be like even if it's just as something as simple as like they're pompous and like they have ridiculous expectations i can understand how people would say that but it's, it's it's just something that i would never think about where it's like man people really would disrespect their the the doctors who really truly understand these um world events um Probably one of the big defining moments for 2020 for me was this is the first presidential election that I was able to vote in. And, you know, really, this is an event that stretches from uh, 2019 into 2020 and still even now into 2021. Literally, this is the final creative outlet podcast of the Trump era, the Donald Trump presidency. 
assuming he doesn't run in 2024, and now with how things have gone, it's looking less likely, but that's, like, that's a whole... The entire election is a giant saga, and it was the definition of a roller coaster, and going from the primary to the general, like, it's... My God. You know, we started off with, like, 20 different Democratic candidates versus one, and, I mean, there were technically three, but realistically for the Republican side, there was only going to be one candidate, uh, the incumbent of Donald Trump. Um, and just going from like, you know, having people like Marianne Williamson, who's like, I mean, she's, I don't, I wouldn't say I love her in the way that some more left-leaning people have come to love her. Although I, I definitely like her more than when she started off in the primary, um, to people like, I, oh my God, Pete Buttigieg, who's going to be the transportation secretary which is insane to me considering he has not even held a state position. He's barely held a local position um, in office. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, there were, like, Joe Biden ended, ending up being the nominee when, you know, I wanted someone like, you know, obviously Bernie Sanders. I would have been, I would have sucked it up in the end if it were Elizabeth Warren but I'm still not super happy with her as far as, you know, not helping out the person who she should nomin nominally and um, as far as if she just followed her policies have been more um, inclined to support. But I digress. Like, Michael Bloomberg was a candidate for the Democratic side? Really? The guy who is a Republican for the vast majority of his life and is a super-duper-duper duper big billionaire thought he could end up being the candidate for the democratic party in 2020 that's ridiculous and just it's just weird to see how much of a presidential election can be like forced and contrived like i mean need we talk about the bloody monday moment that went into super tuesday right like where you know it's like as far as super tuesday went or just as far as elections go in general if there's one thing that you rely on it's that politicians generally i mean not all of them but a lot of them have an ego they think man like especially if they're running for president they're like yeah i can be president see again pete Buttigieg. also again i will point out this is this, this has nothing to do uh with his identity as a gay man that is that is completely superfluous to me i just he is you know he started off in the primary talking like some of the good talk about like you know nationalizing health care and education of all those things but when he you know it's like you really really quickly saw him pivot to things like well i'm gonna be the guy of medicare for all who want it why pete why would you change that unless you realize that it's not really helping you anymore uh to just go for full m4a right which you should be going for but i digress um or, uh, like, let's see, who all dropped out? It was like, uh, I know it was Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg are the big ones, but, you know, Elizabeth Warren didn't. And lo and behold, this is right after South Carolina and the history of Joe Biden winning his first primary election for president ever. Yes, believe it or not, it was not until South Carolina that the guy who is now the president-elect and will be the president in two days on uh, noon Eastern Standard Time won a presidential primary election just when he's run three times, including once in the 1980s, uh, where he had all the, the plagiarism scandal. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting off track here. The debates, the 
the general election presidential debates were atrocious. As, like, I mean, the first one with Chris Wallace, and I mean, out of all the out of all the Fox hosts, I mean, none of them, not, none of the hosts on Fox News are like super great. They are very all pretty, obviously, in favor of the Republican Party. But of all of the ones that are the best, I would pick Chris Wallace a hundred times out of a hundred. So he was clearly the best choice for someone to host. Uh, if they were going to pick someone for Fox News, he would have been a good choice for a, a presidential debate. Um, but he just could not keep Donald Trump under control. And look, ultimately when, you know, I ended up getting an absentee ballot because, you know, there's like the number of people that voted absentee this year is obviously very, very high. Um, I, I remember sitting at the table where I was filling out and I filled out literally every bubble except the presidential one. And I just, I sat there and I looked at the clock and it went for three minutes and I was like, God, do I really fill it out for Joe Biden? Do I really fill it out for Joe Biden who represents so many things that are like, you know, the lowest of the low bars? Or do I write someone in? And ultimately, I had to fill out the bubble for him, if only because of the stupid Duverger's law, in uh, which uh, it, I don't want to get like, completely in the weeds in a political science talk here, but it's essentially the reason why uh, we only have two major parties in the U.S. Other than, you know, uh, again, I don't want to get completely off in the weeds. You can talk about the detailed version of this another time. But it's basically that idea where people talk about, like, you're going to vote for a third party, you're going to waste your vote. His The, the Duverger's law is the reason that that is the case. Um, but in the end, you know, especially now that there's only two days left, it's like, yeah, I'm happy that Donald Trump is going to be gone. And, um, you know, certainly I'm less harsh on, like, the democratic like house candidates and the senate candidates and i am on the presidential candidates um but you know there there are not many candidates that come out for elections that have my full support uh, like once we get to the general i would love to get to the general election and see someone that i'm like heck yeah i want that guy to be the representative or oh my goodness that if this person does not win the senate race the presidential race that i would like feel horrible afterward um it's just it's not a common opportunity and this year was another year where it was not where that opportunity did not happen for any uh election level as far as i'm concerned even if the ones who i picked still had their bright spots in some areas um and you know i i i remember writing this well, my last edit on this there's no way that my last edit on this was four days ago it had to have been well before that google docs um, my last edit on this yeah was like january 1st that seems a little bit more accurate to me the insanity at the capitol what what i mean granted this is 2021 i know i'm trying to give a reflection on 2020 the wrap up of that but like i just i cannot go without talking about how insane it was that this was the first American-led insurrection in U.S. history. Like, if you want to talk about things that are in contemporary history that are going to go into the history books, that is one of the events. 
And for all things, it's trying to keep Donald Trump president of the United States. And I, you know, I, I acknowledge I'm not a Republican. I really don't care for him at all, so I'm not his audience. But I just I cannot believe that at least five people have died, and you know how who knows how many are going to get COVID nineteen. We've already seen uh, some representatives like uh, Pramila Jayapal and. Oh, goodness, there's an, there's an older lady whose name uh, escapes me that's a representative that also now has COVID-19 because of uh, the insurrection, because Republican uh, lawmakers weren't wearing their masks, and, you know, we've got potentially people, like, on the inside who were helping incite this. Like, this is insane. And, uh, to me. And I just, I, I have no idea what to think about it. There, you know, there are some people who talk about things like this is what you get when you have a, a society in economic decline, and certainly some of that is true because a lot of the people there are undereducated, don't have a lot of money. But then there's also the people there who are CEOs, who flew there on a private jet, who have a lot of money, who should obviously know not to do this. Like, duh. Um. <laughs> like I, I, I just. Uh, it's hard to be a podcaster and be uh, speechless in moments, but if you want to talk about something that makes you speechless, that is certainly, you know, something that I think qualifies as something that would make you speechless. I guess the last reflection I have on 2020, though, is with related to COVID-19, other than, you know, just I mean, I didn't even talk about all the racial George Floyd stuff. Like, what am I doing? I talked about that extensively in episode five. Um, so I'd really check, recommend checking that out there. I get, Actually, I, get, I mean, that's something that even connects to the presidential election, too. It's like, how in the world in the year 2020, when we have, you know, the closest thing we've had since the civil rights movement to a major, like, protest for... Um, uh, against police brutality, do we get the one of the main proponents of the crime bill, the 1990s crime bill, being the Democratic candidate? That's insane! And, you know, I just, I don't know how many more years can go on in American politics before we actually see some police reform. Because we talk about it all the time, and it never happens. And I, for one, like, I, granted, I acknowledge I am not really impacted by the uh, the the police brutality, but yeah, I want to see the laws change around it because the laws should change around it. And the fact that so many people die from uh, shootings by an officer is ridiculous. And I mean, at the same time, I also understand because I have had people or like I have known people like in my family and in my community who have worked with officers, and certainly they. Like, they're, the, the, the quote, the, the, like, I mean, I hate to classify between bad and good cops in this case, but, like, you know, the officers who, like, wouldn't dream of doing, of shooting an innocent person, um, like, I understand why they almost, why they feel, like, scared in a way for their jobs, and that's, it's kind of similar to the military situation, where it's, like, you know, really the reason I want you to have less money for your force isn't just because I, like, the whole defund the police sort of thing, isn't because, or just because I want to see less militarization of the police, 
and because I want to see more money go towards social work, but also because I want, I really only want to see police go out when they need to go out. They should do the things they need to do. And that's the same idea with the military, where people say you could cut the military budget in half and we'd still have the most and we could bring a bunch of troops home and be relatively fine. I'm, I'm sure there's like some things that I just I don't understand being a civilian as far as the military situation is concerned, right? Um, but I only really want to send out the soldiers if we absolutely have to. And if we're not in a situation where we have to, why bother sending them out? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going on a complete digression here, but, you know, we've had a year of pandemics, a movement for racial justice that ended up not being served, and a year with the most insane political election I'm hoping I ever seen in my lifetime. And, you know, hopefully something as far as, like, I don't know if the impeachment that they're doing is going to work in, um that's been going through, I had already passed the House, whether it'll pass the Senate to try to get Donald Trump to be unable to run ever again for office is questionable, because you'd need to get 17 Republicans to sign on to it, and that's a, that's a long shot, especially when you only had 10 in the House. Um, I really wish that they, the, the, the House and the Senate would just go for the 14th Amendment route, where, um, you know, Donald Trump, because he did aid and he gave aid and comfort to um, an insurrection. Like, that's the that's the language in the amendment there about, like, giving aid and comfort to an insurrection is the idea. Like, yeah, that's what he did. Uh, and because of that little bit in the 14th Amendment, we can put a little piece of legislation through that says, you ain't running for president again, buddy. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about as far as 2020 is, you know, be sure to pour one out alcoholically if you're like me and you're still not quite 21, a perfectly good non-alcoholic beverage for the things that we lost in 2020. And, you know, that, like, I mean, in this case, like I said, we were talking earlier, smash tournaments. There's not going to be smash tournaments until the world's back to normal. Um, let's see. Uh, or, like, there's, um... In my, uh, the, the state that I like to call home here, there's a couple of major institutions that are gone or are going to be changed in a, a significant way without regular life being there to have facilitated or, like, seen that change, uh, come to fruition. Like, uh, in Wisconsin, a couple of the big things, um, the baseball stadium for the Milwaukee Brewers for my entire life has been called Miller Park. Now it's going to be American Family Field, and that's just wrong to me. I mean, I know it's really not that big a deal, but, like, that's an institution for me. That's going to be gone. Or um, uh, in Wisconsin Dells, there was the Tommy Bartlett show, which is, like, a a boat uh, water skiing sort of show. That The last performance of that, performances of that were in 2019 because they couldn't do any in 2020. And obviously, when your whole business model is built on having performances, you kind of have to shut down. And, I mean, let's let's not even forget all the permanent losses of small businesses either i i know at the point it was like you could see up to 40 percent of small businesses i'm wondering like are we gonna get to 60 percent of small businesses end up closing by the end of this pandemic or or, or what you know it's <sighs> 2020 was time <laughs> there's a reason why people want 2021 to be a like a, a better hopeful year and you know i don't I don't know if that'll end up happening. I don't know if it um if it will end up being 
uh, that much better. We'll just have to see what happens. But ultimately, this is all I have for the Creative Outlet Podcast episode 7. We did barely, I think, end up making it to uh, two hours. I mean, it says two hours on the camera, but there are a couple of minutes that I spent setting up the shot. So it's really like an hour and 59 or so. Um, please, now that there are audio and visual platforms, do your appropriate form of engagement, whether it's a like, if you're on YouTube, a subscription, if you're on, uh, anchor.fm slash T-H-E-C-O-P, uh, anchor.fm slash the C-O-P, you could say. <laughs> uh, if you want, you can always send in a message, uh, do those thumbs up, like, uh, favorite the pod, put the podcast on your favorites list. Um, I hope to seeing you in the next episode. I'm really wondering now that I have a camera that can do these things all in a row, how well I'm going to be able to do the segments. Because that that was the only bit of beauty with the EOS Rebel was, you know, I had to use the remote, which, by the way, I can't use the remote on this camcorder, which is stupid, but I digress. Um, I could not use... Uh, I I don't know how easy it's going to be to split up the uh, the segments here because I don't I'm not, not sure what the natural cutoff point is going to be for some of them but I will try to of course make the segments for this episode as well with all of that stated this is uh, Brandon Pudwell officially signing out and I thank everyone for listening and watching in this first year of the Creative Outlet podcast.